Hey friend, this is Ryan Thomas. We're so blessed and grateful you're listening to On the Road and supporting Faith Radio. You are quite simply the best and we appreciate you so much. Enjoy the show. Discovering stories of courage, determination, and hope. Welcome to Faith Radio's On the Road. Now, here's Ryan Thomas. Well, it's just not every day you get the chance to talk space telescopes, journeys to Mars, and asteroids with a celebrated astronomer. But we're blessed to know a man to whom these topics are as familiar as the back of his hand and who points to the creator as the author of all heavenly wonders. Dr. David Bradstreet is simply one of our favorites, and the much-beloved Eastern University professor with an asteroid named in his honor is back on today's On the Road. Welcome once more to the show, my friend. It is always an honor to be in your verbal presence. Thanks, Ryan. Sometimes I'm not even sure where the back of my hand is, so I'm not sure where this is going. So how is this fine day progressing for you on the eastern seaboard, sir? It's very good. It's a little chilly, but not too bad. It's a, It's, you know, today is a great day. And talking with you makes it even better. Well, you're too kind. We're so glad to have you back. We get so many great comments uh, and people just fascinated by what you have to say when you're here. So thanks so much uh, for being with us once again. We A couple months ago, we had uh, Pastor Louis Giglio on the show with us, and he absolutely loves these subjects, these same subjects of the wonders of the heavens and God's fingerprints in his creation. And he started talking to us, Dr. David, about the James Webb Space Telescope, which is set to go up into space early next year. Tell us a little bit about what this space telescope is and why it's such a big deal. What it is is a replacement for the Hubble telescope. The Hubble telescope has been probably the single most important telescope in the history of astronomy in terms of the things that we've discovered through it. It's just, you know, it would take years to explain all the great discoveries that we've made with the Hubble. But the Hubble is not that big of a telescope. It's what we call a medium-sized research telescope. And so the, the James Webb telescope is seven and a half times bigger in terms of light-collecting ability than the Hubble. And so it's a very large telescope. It's, it's com- designed completely differently from the Hubble telescope, nor will it be orbiting the Earth. It's actually going to be sent out to, a, 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 believe it or not, an imaginary point called the second Lagrangian point, which is on the other side of the moon from us, that actually is a point in space about which the telescope can orbit. It's a gravitational equilibrium point. So, yeah, exactly. There's nothing there. It's kind of like, I'll, I'll give you an, a, a rough analogy. Think of a donut, a regular donut. Not, not the donut with fillings, the donut your grandmother used to make with, with a hole in them. Yes, of course. I'm thinking so, about donuts yeah. now. Yeah. So, so where's, where's the center of mass of the donut? Where's the balance point of the donut? It would be in the center where the hole is supposed where, to be. Right, right. At the center of the hole. And what's actually at the center of the hole? I believe nothingness, sir. Right. And yet that's the center of mass. You see what I'm saying? Yes. So even though there's nothing there, gravitationally speaking, there sort of is something there. Wow. And it's a, it's a point in space about which we've already orbited other satellites. It's about a million miles from Earth. It's on the other side of the moon. It takes about 30 days for the spacecraft to reach it once it leaves the Earth. 
And then it'll circle way, way out there and be looking out into space. And it's an infrared telescope. It's not a visual telescope. Do, do you know what I mean by that? No, sir. Actually, I don't. Well, we, we see visual light. That's why it's called visual. Uh, but there's lots of other types of electromagnetic radiation. And infrared, we can't see it, but we can feel it. Right? When you put your hand near an old-fashioned incandescent bulb and you feel the heat coming from it. Sure. That, that's actually infrared radiation reacting with your skin. Really? So you can't see it, but your skin can detect it as heat. That's what, you know, you've heard infrared lamps. They're giving off infrared light. And that's the kind of light that this telescope will be looking at, way, way out, uh, way beyond the moon. And that kind of light uh, gives us insight into all kinds of very cool things that we can't see visually. Let me, let me give you an example. One of the big deals in astronomy today is looking for planets. And of course, what would you really like to find on other planets? Not planets in our solar system, planets around other stars. I'm guessing life. You'd really like to be able to detect life yeah. because the television programming on Earth is awful. <laughs> so, so, you know, we're looking for civilizations that have better programming than we do. Of course. So, so, but it would be cool if we could detect signs of life. Well, you can actually, with this telescope, You'd be able, because it's so big and it looks in the infrared, you can actually detect the signature of, for example, oxygen in the atmosphere of some of these what are called exoplanets, planets beyond the solar system. And certain amounts of oxygen on those planets is an indicator of life because, for example, the oxygen in our atmosphere came mostly from plant life. And it's, it doesn't really occur naturally. It occurs after life has gotten uh, going. And so... That's what they're ho one of the things they're hoping to detect is possibly finding planets with the right amount of oxygen in their atmospheres that might indicate the presence of life. This seems extremely obvious now when I look back on it, but I never thought about it before reading your book, Starstruck, which is just one of the best and most fun books that I've ever read. If you have ever looked up into your, the your night sky... Is, your check is in the mail. <laughs> well, I'll be looking for it, so please okay. confirm that. But <laughs> when you look up into that night sky and are just mesmerized by what you see, Starstruck is an amazing book that, that digs into the wonders of the heavens, but also is so understandable and relatable as well. But you talk about light pollution in the book, sir, and just how I would have never thought of, but how obviously that impacts... All of these these observatories that are in urban areas and their their inability to see the things that they once would have been able to see does that at all play into the significance of the space telescopes or is it just really far beyond that? So the infrared telescope is far beyond that because infrared doesn't get through the atmosphere. So if you want to see infrared, which a lot which gives us a much better vision of the heavens, you've got to get above the atmosphere to do that. And so. We have to get above the atmosphere, and then we have to be able to make sure the telescope is cold enough so that it can actually see infrared, because if the telescope gets hot, it'll start radiating its own infrared, and that'll swamp any readings it's trying to take. Does that, does that make sense? Wow, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like so, the, so the mirrors, if the mirrors are hot, they'll start radiating infrared, and any signal they're trying to pull in will be swamped by this background noise. So you've got to keep the telescope very, very cold, just, you know, six, seven, ten, whatever degrees above absolute zero. One of the reasons for getting it that far away from the Earth and Moon, so that the infrared coming from the Earth and Moon, uh, you know, won't be a hindrance. 
you know, the light pollution thing is an interesting. The light pollution is more of a severe thing, not just for astronomers, but for the average person, because the average person hardly ever gets to see the sky the way it really is. Mm. You know, if you've ever gone on a, a cruise out in the ocean, or if you've gone out a wilderness camping, or like, say, to Alaska or whatever, and you, and you see the sky without light pollution, you can't believe it. It looks fake. It's just so overwhelmingly bright, and the Milky Way jumps out at you, and it's just like light pollution takes all that away for the average observer, so that when you go out at night, you hardly even look up because, oh, yeah, there's a couple <laughs> stars, as opposed to the 3,500 you can see you know, in a crystal clear, darkened sky. So for me, as a scientist, I'm more concerned that the average person really doesn't really care that much about the sky anymore because they can't see it. Well, we're hearing the voice today of Dr. David Bradstreet, a much-beloved professor at Eastern University, a celebrated astronomer with an asteroid named in his honor, and an author whose book, Starstruck, is an absolute treat for anyone who's ever been in awe of a beautiful night sky. How's the asteroid doing these days, by the way? Have you checked up on it lately? Yeah, it's not headed for Earth yet. I'm, I, you know, I, With my luck, it's going to be the one that smacks us. Uh, so I'll become infamous rather than, you know, noted for an asteroid. But no, I mean, the asteroids, there's four or 500,000 of them. So, you know, eventually we are going to get hit. But no, you know, there's nothing to worry about because Bruce Willis will save us. So we're good. I, think, I, no, I mean, with, you know, you can worry about asteroids, but it's kind of like if you're a scuba diver. You know, if you're worried about sharks getting you, don't go. You know, if the shark wants to get to you, you're, you're his meal. That's it. That's a fair point. So if the asteroid's going to hit us, it's going to hit us. And, and there's, you know, there's biblical precedent for this kind of thing happening. Revelation 8.8 8 says the end times will be uh, begun by an angel throwing a fiery mountain into the sea. Mm. Sounds like an asteroid to me. You know, it's funny that you bring that up now because I actually yeah, wanted to ask Yeah, it's funny you. to think of Armageddon, isn't it? <laughs> sorry, funny is the wrong word. It's oh, ironic. Sorry. It's ironic that you bring it up because I meant to ask you both about asteroids and, if you'll believe it, apocalyptic scenarios because you talk about both of those things in the book. The one thing that you say about asteroids that is both interesting on a scientific but also a spiritual level, I thought, you say in the book Starstruck that a lot of people look at asteroids and they say, what is the point of this? This does not appear to have a point at all when it comes to the cosmic uh, scenario. But you say, you know what, there is significance in asteroids because God does not create trash. Can you dig into that? You know, there's a lot of things in history that when they're first discovered, people are like, what good is that? Um, asteroids, they look like space junk, quote unquote. But, you know, if people are actually starting to seriously consider, gee, if we could just mine some of these asteroids, we would have virtually a limitless supply of heavy metals. The hard part is getting that to Earth. I mean, you can't just throw an asteroid on the Earth. But you know what I mean? If you, but the, the nickel and iron, for example, that came from the original cores of bigger bodies and are now asteroid pieces, uh, you're talking about trillions of dollars worth of metals that are just, you know, if you could get them on the Earth, they're there. There they are. You'd have enough iron and, and nickel. Iron and nickel would be so dirt cheap that it would be unbelievable. I mean, the resources in space are basically limitless. 
but you know, when I read that, I honestly it was a little poignant for me because I think that I took it just a step further. And I think sometimes we ourselves can feel a little bit like, you know, whether it's comparing ourselves to others, uh, comparing ourselves to our dreams for what our life could have been. Honest to goodness, I think sometimes we feel like maybe God made a mistake somewhere when it comes to his own engineering in us. But God does not create trash. That's, no. that's a pretty powerful statement. No, and he certainly doesn't make mistakes. And I know you bump into people all the time where you think that's wrong, but you know, I mean, deep down you know that God does not make mistakes. And people, because they don't understand something right now, doesn't mean that later they won't see the, the greatness of it. Can I give you an example from mathematics? I, I promise I won't, I won't, I won't get uh, you know, too detailed. You have permission. Thank you. There was a French mathematician named Galois, and he invented a kind of math uh, in the middle of the 1800s, group theory. And everybody, we've all had math classes, and, and this guy came up with this all this theory about how to treat symmetry and different groups, they're called. And when he invented this mathematics, it had no application whatsoever. It was just a very cool math. The people are like, well, this is cool, but what are you going to use it for? And, you know, Galileo says, well, I don't know. You can use it for anything, but it's a neat, cool math. <laughs> but wouldn't you know that as we've begun studying uh, atomic physics and particle theory and all the different particles, when, when, when we were in school, we were taught about the proton, the electron, the neutron, and that's basically all the particles we were taught in the 70s. Now we find there's a literal zoo of all kinds of different particles in addition to those three. And group theory is used to not only describe those particles, but to predict the existence of particles by symmetry. And sure enough, every time they look at a predicted particle, they find it. All predicted by this quote-unquote worthless math theory called group theory. Wow. That's tremendous. So, right. So, I mean, how do you know something that might be, you see as useless now, later might be one of the most important things ever? How do we know we haven't discovered a cure for cancer and looked and overlooked it? Well, our dear friend, Dr. David Bradstreet is with us today. He's a much beloved professor at Eastern University, a celebrated astronomer. The asteroid is named in his honor. An author whose book, Starstruck, is an absolute treat for anyone who's ever been in awe of a beautiful night sky. You say something in Starstruck that uh, I grazed over before, but I really sort of dwelled on it this last reread of the book, which is that God, yes, he is creator, but he is also sustainer. And there have been some threads of thinking and threads of belief throughout the years, something akin to deism, right? Where, People have believed that God basically created the world and then stepped back and let it go. But you're saying, not so. It's, it's such an important point. I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up because it really is, in my heart, the main thrust of the entire book. If, if people get nothing else out of the book, it's this, it's this concept. Because it, it's at the heart of secular science. Secular scientists believe that the universe runs according to what they call natural law. And those laws can be described by mathematics, and that's really, really cool, which it is. 
but they, they, they have no answer to the question, why does the nature obey these differential equations? What, what's actually going on? Why does the universe hold together? Why, why, does, why do the atoms in your chair stick together? Now, well, it's electrostatic forces. Yeah, but how, what is it about the electron that gives it this thing we call charge? What exactly is charge? And the answer is, no one knows. You start asking fundamental questions like that. What causes charge? We don't know the answer. It, it's, it's something we describe and can describe tr tremendously accurately and predict what these particles are going to do. But what is it about an electron that has what we call a negative charge and a proton has exactly a positive charge of exactly the same magnitude? And I mean exactly out to the gazillionth data uh, percentage point. Otherwise, the whole universe would collapse or explode. The Bible is very clear. It talks about Jesus, like in Colossians 1, 17, it says that Jesus is before all things, and in him what? All things hold together. Hmm. It doesn't say some things. It says all things. And Paul is, is saying that God, Jesus, didn't just create the world, but it runs. It's, it's being sustained at all times, at all places, past, present, future, by God. And this idea that God made the universe and made it so well that it's this perfect machine that runs on its own, that's a deism, deistic kind of an idea. And so th the idea of deism is God made the universe, and now he's in the Bahamas reading the newspaper, having a good time. <laughs> and the universe just runs on its own, and things just happen. That is a very heretical, non-biblical viewpoint. Scripture is replete where it talks about, as I just mentioned, Colossians, Hebrews uh, 1, 1 through 3 talk about this very same idea that God is the sustainer. All things are holding together in him. He's making everything work. And people say, well, I don't see the presence or, uh, or evidence of God. He's so ubiquitous. He's everywhere doing stuff all the time. Do you remember, Ryan, you, you're probably too young to remember the, the cover of Time magazine that came out on Easter, I think it was 63 or 64, that said, is God dead? Do, do you remember that? I remember reading about it, sir. Yeah. And I can still remember, I think I was in third or fourth grade, and I remember seeing that all red letters on a black cover, is God dead? And thinking to myself, that's kind of a stupid question. Because <laughs> if God didn't exist, the universe wouldn't either. The universe is not self-sustaining. It's being sustained by God at all times, all places. Everything that is going on is because God is commanding the universe to do what it does at all times. But we have this idea that, well, now God isn't, you know, he's not making the atoms do what they do. He just set it up and they do that. That's not what scripture says. So we've got to get away from this idea of a universe that's self-sustaining. If you believe in Scripture, then God is actually behind what's going on at all times. And the fact that the universe runs and is dependable is a reflection of the Creator's dependability and creating order out of chaos. There's such hope, such hope right there. Thank you so much for that, sir. You know, we, we found ourselves talking about asteroids earlier and celestial bodies and you know, you made the great comment about Bruce Willis in the film Armageddon, but 
But in all seriousness, I mean, when a lot of people talk about asteroids like this, the question is, well, is one ever going to hit the Earth? And you actually write right here at the close of the book Starstruck. And I just want to read the whole paragraph because it is so, so ridiculously good. Here's what you and your co-writer Steve Raby say. You say, I've spent a lifetime examining the cosmos. I've seen the fingerprints of God in the wonders of creation. I've witnessed his sustaining power holding everything together and making it all work. Why should I worry about how he's going to bring down the closing curtain? I'm sure he will do just fine. Why do you believe that? Why are you so peaceful about that? I think it's because I trust Jesus. You know, you either believe in what Jesus said or you don't. Jesus said, I'm, I've prepared a mansion for you in heaven. If, it wasn't, if this wasn't what was going on, I would have told you differently. But, you know, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Everything's going to be cool. Heaven is so far beyond what you can imagine. It's going to be great. So, you know, if, if we get hit by an asteroid and that triggers the tribulation and if we're dead, it's party time. <laughs> and if, you know, and if we don't, if we survive and have to go through hard stuff, okay, well then he'll be around in probably seven years and it'll still be party time. But the mm-hmm. ultimate, the ultimate for all of us who believe in Christ as our savior, because we're sinners and we need a savior is it's party time. It's a happy, it's, it's happiness beyond comprehension. Being with God is a happiness and a joy that human existence can't even begin to approach. And so, don't, am I not to have faith that Jesus told us the truth? Did he not give us enough evidence in the things he did and the life he led that we shouldn't trust what he said? And so I do. We have about three and a half minutes left with just genuinely one of our favorite people to talk to here on the road uh, for faith radio dr david bradstreet i came across uh, something reading up on you just in advance of this conversation and it's something that you tell your students in class and i thought this was so cool uh at the beginning of some of your classes i understand that you say something to the effect of i may be about to say something that will challenge a belief that you've had but you do not have to be afraid in this class ever of discovering something in science, of learning something in science that will go against the reality that God is the creator, that God is in control, that God is the ultimate author of all of this. Did I get that about right? That's, that, that sounds like something I wrote. <laughs> yep. No, I mean, it's funny. It's funny when you read and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, so. I mean, in other words, <laughs> I believed that for so long. It's just part of who I am. And I mean, if that sounds strange to people, come take my classes. I mean, it, this is what I genuinely believe. And that my my being a scientist and being a Christian, uh, they're woven, they're integrated together. It's just not an issue. And so, you know, I trust God completely, or I'd like to think I do. And I love science. I love discovering new things and looking at stars nobody has looked at before and trying to figure out what they're doing. You know, and God's given us the tools, the mechanisms uh, to be able to do that, which is quite remarkable, even for my college students. And it's just a lot of fun. It's I, I find joy in that. And joy in, in, in sharing and the creativity 
and the wonder of the universe that God has created and sustained. It's, it's really a joy to be able to share that, you know, with you and your listeners as well as with my students. Well, it's our joy to be able to share in that with you today, sir. That is for sure. Dr. David Bradstreet, the much-beloved professor at Eastern University, has been with us today, celebrated astronomer and the author of the book called Starstruck. It's one of my favorite books. If you have ever had the fascination with this topic and if you've honestly (laughs) ever just looked into the night sky and been in awe of God's creation, it's an amazing book. Starstruck, Seeing the Creator in the Wonders of Our Cosmos. And Dr. Bradstreet, I know that you are not necessarily a social media maven. That's fair to say? That's very fair to say. (laughs) But if we do want to learn more, where should we go, sir? Well, you could check me out at eastern.edu. That's the university's homepage. And our astronomy department has a page called euastronomy.com. EU for Eastern University. So euastronomy.com. You can find out more about what we're doing specifically in the astronomy department and some of my publications and so on. And you can still get Starstruck on uh, Amazon if you're looking for it. Uh, people seem to like it. The reviews are awfully good. So, you know, we're still still selling it and, and people love it. It's, it's a great read. There are also fascinating and epic pictures, too. By the way, just for anybody like me that enjoys uh, pictures and books, there are pictures as well in Starstruck. Sir, what can we say? Uh, just a blast to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us once again. You're just, you are the man. God bless you. Keep up the great work. Okay, sir? Thanks. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Listen, literally, anytime. Thanks for sharing in the story of this latest episode of Faith Radio's On the Road. For more on today's conversation and the full podcast archive of all our episodes, look for On the Road when you visit MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks so much for listening to On the Road. Programming like this happens because of your incredible support. You can learn more about partnering financially at MyFaithRadio.com. And we'd be so glad to connect with you during the week on social media. Just search for On the Road with Ryan Thomas on Facebook. And our Twitter handle is at OnTheRoadRyan. Until next time, God bless you, my friend.